welcome to Semester 2, Episode 9 of Just Admit It, where former deans and directors of admissions give expert advice into the complex higher ed landscape. I'm Amy, an Ivy Wise College Admissions Counselor and former Associate Director of Admissions at Bucknell, where I played volleyball as a Division I athlete and also later specialized in athletic recruitment advising. Joining me today are my friends and colleagues, Ivy Wise um, admissions counselor Joaquin, who is also a former admissions officer at Occidental and was a recruited swimmer at Wesleyan, and Nat, who is a former senior assistant director of admissions at NYU and NYU Abu Dhabi and was a recruited tennis player at Skidmore. So in today's episode, we're going to discuss how the pandemic has impacted the college athletics recruitment process and share advice for student athletes about how to proceed in this um, time. So I'm gonna start with Nat. Um, if you could start kind of giving a little bit of an overview of the timeline of the yeah. athletic recruitment process. Yeah, I think it makes sense that we do a little bit of an overview so that we then can talk about what has changed and what hasn't changed because of the pandemic. Um, and so in regard to the, um, the, the timeline, so to speak, um, it really depends on uh, on the sport, right? So it's not like every sport starts at the same time, but generally speaking, um, it is earlier than you would expect. You know, you being a family or a student athlete, um, most of the students um, that are blue chip athletes are going to be recruited and, and being watched at a very, very young age. Uh, and even like ninth and 10th grade would be late for some of the sports. Now, there are some new rules that have come into play in the last few years that actually prohibit a coach from contacting a student before a certain time. And again, it, it all changes depending on the sport. Um, but I would also say that uh, one of the things that we'll talk about later is that the pandemic may have kind of shifted the timeline earlier in some cases, but also later. Like I think that students weren't hearing back from coaches until very late in the process. So even though it might start very early, depending on the sport, it can actually end up going all the way to the November 1st deadline, you know, the early decision deadline, or sometimes even even until January, or I just worked with an athlete that was really just making his, his, um, you know, his commitment. Uh, he made it a couple of days ago. So it, it went all the way. And, and that was, that was partly because of the pandemic. So, um, and then Amy, do you want to go back and talk about eligibility as well? Sure. I think the key here is for Division One and Division Two athletes, specifically with the NCAA Eligibility Center. It previously was called the Clearinghouse. Right. And there are two ways or two reasons to fill those forms out. One is a coach has reached out to you and asked you, what is your NCAA ID um, number? Um, or if you are a junior, it's ideal to start filling this eligibility information so that you can be an actual athlete on a college campus. That's why you're doing this. You are able to compete or fill it out for two separate sports. So if you're uncertain if you're going to be a tennis recruit or a football recruit, you can fill it out for those different sports. And it basically has the minimum requirements. This has absolutely nothing to do with getting your name out to college coaches. This is just so college coaches know that you are able to actually compete 
at their university or at their college. And you can go on the eligibility um, website, center.org website to learn more about this. But specifically, this is for division one and division two. And there is a bit of a sliding scale of if you are eligible. So if you have a 3.5 GPA, but you have an 1820 SAT, you're gonna be okay and get through and be eligible. So I just encourage students especially division one, division two um, athletes to start compete, filling this out by their junior year. Um, now there is a significant difference, obviously, if you're going to be a recruit with division one, division two, division three. And so Joaquin, can you tap into that a little bit for us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, the difference is, and as I encourage my students to think about Division One, Division Two, and Division Three level of play, is typically Division One is seen as sort of. Um, the big time, if you will. Um, oftentimes students who are looking at um, playing at the division one level um, have spoken with their club coach, their high school coach, and have made it to the ultimate level and have gotten advice that that's the right direction for them to look. And um, typically students who I have counseled who go to division one schools have shared with me that um, oftentimes um, they're first priority in going to a division one school is playing that sport, especially if they are a scholarship athlete. So I think it's really important for students before you even start to get into the process of athletic recruitment is being aware of where your interest lies and really where your priorities are. So I always encourage my students to start off by creating a parameter list specifically around the athletic athletic uh, playing college athletics and really what your desires are or what the parameters should um, ultimately reflect. So for example, if you are the type of athlete that wants to commit 100% to that sport and you're okay with um, making exceptions, um, even if it might mean you have to miss a class or um, a lab um, for practice, then division one might be the route for you. Um, it is considered, again, your first priority if you are a scholarship athlete at a division one level. Um, division two is less known. Um, they still can offer athletic scholarships. Um, students are still um, held to a high standard. It can still be very competitive, um, but they're just not as well known. There are fewer uh, division two schools. Um, expectations at each level, whether it's division one, two, or three, need to be discussed with the coach prior to committing. What I mean by that is asking the coach, will you allow me to miss a practice to um, study for an exam or attend a bio lab and get an honest answer from them. And typically what I have seen from division three schools is they don't offer scholarships. Of course, you're still eligible for financial aid. Um, but generally, um, they are more of your scholar athletes who, um, whose coaches understand that your priority is academics and that you're going to college for an education. And the range in playing ability depends. Um, you know, we, we have some students who I've counseled who could play at the division one level, but end up 
going to a Division three school. So even though it might be Division one, two, and three, I think it's really important to keep in mind what are your priorities? Are you going to college for academics? And if that's the case, maybe a Division three school, regardless of how of how um, uh, strong you are as an athlete, um, you might want to consider some really strong Division three schools. Do either of you have anything to add about Division one, two, or three? I love it when it's a collaborative conversation. Would love to hear your input on it. Well, I mean, I, I would say I, I, I agree with what you said. I think that, um, you know, I, I think from afar, a lot of students feel like, you know, if you could see my hands and obviously you can't see my hands, it's a podcast, but uh, my colleagues can see my hands. But a lot of athletes feel like it's uh, high school and then division three and then two and then one. And I think, you know, depending on the sport, you don't you, you know, there's a big jump from high school sports to division three. Um, and there's some sports where there's a lot of overlap. Right. Like and and surprisingly, like hockey, division one hockey is so much fun. It's my favorite sport to watch. But division three hockey is actually not that far off from division one. There are certainly some some differences in size, overall size. Um, but I've seen so many division one athletes in hockey that have transferred to division three schools and, and, you know, had very, very good careers. And, you know, and I've seen that in basketball too. I've worked with some students that, you know, transferred from, from some very highly visible division one basketball programs. And then they, they transferred to division three and I'm thinking, wow, this kid is going to have every record, you know, in division three. And they're, they're definitely an impact player, but they, they were not the top player in division three. So there is still this misconception about how good you have to be to be division one, two or three. And certainly I think we can, you know, I can speak from experience and that I, I chose a division three school over, you know, multiple, multiple division one schools. My wife did the same thing. And, um, and so, and we played when, when I played at Skidmore, we played division one teams every single year and we, we beat division one teams every single year. So that was, um, that was a good experience. But I think Joaquin, what you said about kind of knowing what the expectations are because they can really vary. Uh, and um, yeah, and we can talk about some of the scholarship information as well if we have time at the end. Should I go ahead and talk about college recruitment as well? So uh, the recruitment process is, um, well, we're, I mean, that is, that's the basis of our conversation today. But essentially what that is alluding to is that if you are a recruited athlete, you, um, you have a different pathway into the college admissions process, right? There are the, the acceptance rates for a recruited athlete are exponentially higher than for a non-recruited athlete. And so we often refer to it and, and others refer to it as like a hooked category, right? So there are a number of different hooked categories within uh, within the, the, the college admissions process. And really what that means, if we were to decode that language, being a hooked applicant means that you are fulfilling one of the school's priorities, right? So if athletics is a priority at a college, right, or if diversity is a priority at the college, or for example, if uh, the school's bond rating, which is a priority at every college in the country, right, then you, you, you'd, you, need, you need to talk about development, you need to talk about, you know, diversity, you need to talk about, and not just ethnic, but socioeconomic diversity, but the same way that athletes are a hooked applicant. Uh, and so the recruiting process essentially means, right, and uh, this is a general statement, is that the coach has some say in whether or not uh, you get in and they can support your application. But we often, you know, are reminding students that, 
admissions offices still make decisions at most of the places. There are, you know, some exceptions. I've, you know, you hear of like you know, the, the top division one basketball programs and how the coach has a little bit more say than, than the director of admissions and the coach is the, the highest paid person on campus, right? Aside from, you know, the president. So there are, you know, there are obviously ex- exceptions, but generally speaking, the, the admissions office will make the decision. Um, and But the coach does have a say and has a way to support your application. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the recruiting process. And I would- yeah, and To piggyback off of that, sorry, Amy, uh, <laughs> some coaches will even be allowed slots where they're given a specific number of recruited athletes that they are essentially guaranteed. So if you are a slotted athlete um, and you can ask a coach, will you be advocating for me in the college admission process? Because the athletic coaches absolutely have a relationship with the admission office. That's right. And they will tell you, yes, you're a recruited athlete. I will advocate for you, for you in this process. And therefore that... Um, could likely mean you are a slotted athlete, meaning you're one of those. And each sport will have its own number of um, um, slots yeah, or bands. Slot. Yeah, exactly. And it depends on the school. So again, this is very school specific, but mm-hmm. in general, that is typically um, the practice. Amy. And- Typically, keep in mind for certain schools, those slots also have academic expectations. So they might only have two slots um, for a student that has a 3.0 GPA and maybe a lower scale on the SAT, ACT. Right. And five slots for someone who has a higher GPA. And so that those slots can change depending on the individual sport. And also it can um matter that you might not know right away if you are one of those slots. So be patient with the coach. They might not tell you right away. They might change their mind because all of a sudden you are the second in place for their goalie, but they're number one, they're waiting to hear and they need to have an official visit. And so you might have to practice some patience with whether or not the coach is going to be honest with you and feel free also to be honest with them. If you finally made a decision to go to another school, it is important that you be polite and respond and be let them know that you have decided to move on so that they can find their next replacement on their list for that particular spot or position they need within that sport. Yeah, such good points from both of you. I think one of the things I want to kind of reiterate and and touch upon is um, there's really specific language that is often used. And of course, as a young athlete, 16, 17, you know, sometimes younger, sometimes a little bit older, you you tend to he- you tend to hear what you want to hear, right? So you have a conversation with the coach, and you're you get off the phone or you get off the Zoom call, and you're like, "Oh, this is awesome! He wants me or she wants me!" Like, I'm totally committing in that place where that might not have been you know the conversation at all. I know from experience, right? Um, my wife was a coach. Uh, that it is very hard for coaches, especially younger coaches, to let down an athlete. And they, they want to be as transparent as possible, right? And they want to keep their options open, but they have a hard time saying like, hey, like you're just not good enough, you know, for this program yet. But when you get to a certain point, please contact me again. They, you know, they tend to use a little language like, oh, you won't need my help to get in the admissions process. I've seen that so many different times. And so it, it is really important to, to be able to decode the language as you go. And, and yeah, and I love, you're right, Amy, about the, the different bands, usually, you know, at, at division three places, right? We're talking about the A band, B band, C band, and then some coaches they don't even know about the non-athletic factor or the X band, but these are, they tend to get more bands for higher 
you know, higher metric students, right? So the higher GPA, you tend to get more of those. Um, and then what Joaquin was referring to, right? The every NESCAC school, if we're kind of talking about the NESCAC, right? They they have a they all have a, a same number of bands, but uh, so it might be like 53 or something like that. But one school could say like we're going to do 20 for football, while another school can say, well, we don't have football, so those 20 can go and we could strengthen our baseball team or mm-hmm. strengthen our you know um, softball team. So there's a lot of nuance in everything that we're saying, but uh, hopefully this is helpful information for everyone. Um, I wanted to back up a second. Yeah. Uh, the timeline piece, you know, Amy brought up a really great point about academics still being really important. And I would say no matter where you're at in your athletic career, it starts your freshman year, just as the permanent transcript record starts, your athletic sort of recruitment process starts then too. It may not be official yeah. by parameters through the NCAA, um, because officially you can't start until I think it's second semester junior year. You can reach out to a coach, but they can't reach out to you. And it's important to know and understand how that works. But it's also important to develop a athletic resume. And you it starts um, typically your freshman year is the most relevant information to put on there that you want to include things like your high school, your GPA, because academics will be something that's taken into consideration. Um, You know, your year of graduation, I would also recommend putting your height, your weight, um, and then any standouts, any positions you've held, uh, any records you've held, any um, captain, um, co-captain, type of uh, recognition and honors that you've held should also be um, on your athletic resume. I typically tell my students to keep it to a page if you can, um, including, you know, um, things like um, sports camps that you've attended, anything that's really extraordinary and beyond sort of the standard. Most recruited athletes will also be not only a varsity athletic player, but also a club player uh, playing for their club team. So just keep that in mind. I think that's also something that's really important. Um, And then when we talk about the athletic recruitment process, I think another great question for students to ask is, in my first year, will I be a redshirt or will I make an impact in that first year? And that's something for you to decide Uh, when you go back to your, you know, what's your wish list? What's what are you looking for in a college? If you know you want to be in your first year, um, contributing, at, contributing. Yeah. At yeah. the level of, of playing, um, then maybe you will go to a school that says, no, in the first year you will be able to start. Or if they say, ah, in the first year, you'll, you'll sort of train and maybe make the traveling team hopefully in the second year, or, you know, if you really work hard and then that gives you some reference. So these are good questions for you to think about during COVID to go back to the original, um, sort of, um, topic that we started with, I think there's been a lot in addition to the process being delayed, questions that I've received from students about how do I continue to demonstrate um, my athletic ability when my team has not been able to compete or um, I haven't been able to train as much. Um, I think it's really important that students understand that even though things have shifted, you're utilizing your talents and your skills to really um, provide a solution. So one example I would give is I have a student who's a rugby player and um, he was hearing from his teammates that they couldn't uh, compete, they couldn't practice, and he saw a problem, a challenge. Um, And he um, was able to um, 
provide a solution um, and do uh, some online um, video recordings of different skills and tips um, that he then shared with his teammates and it's grown beyond. And um, I think really looking at this period as how can you, given the parameters, still continue to demonstrate to a college that you're practicing, you're making an effort and perhaps even solving a a problem, a challenge um, that COVID has done for us. You'll be surprised that as we go out of COVID or we come back to in-person, your um, efforts may lead to some really great um, opportunities for you and your teammates in terms of your leadership development, your skill development, your cohesion and um, um, camaraderie with your teammates, perhaps developing even further. Um, So yeah, that's one of my tips. Do you guys have any suggestions on, you know, what students right now can do since maybe they can't be in person or perhaps they've lost a year of um, um, competition? How would you recommend students sort of overcome that or solutions they might come think of? Joaquin, first of all, that's a great idea and suggestion for students to think about when they're in this time of uncertainty. I will say that every year the recruiting process is a bit of a puzzle. And I, for Division One, I, I really still think, even because they can't see you face in person, that it's important to put together a highlight clip, a one-minute highlight clip. Super important, even if it's during a scrimmage or um previous from games, that is so important. And the other um, tip I would say is, do not have your parents send that to the coach. Um, Because coaches are going to look at that and say, oh, it's just the parents supporting their child. And Mm -hmm. I haven't heard from their high school coach or I haven't heard from their travel team coach or um, or even alum who's part of used to be part of our program. So I would recommend that if you are going to take the time to put together a one minute Mm -hmm. highlight clip to share that either you're sharing it or your high school coach is sharing it or someone else who's coached you is sharing that with those coaches of interest. That's more likely going to generate and start the communication between you and those coaches that might be interested. Um, Nat, can you talk a little bit about what the communication looks like once you're on their radar? Yeah, sure. And and before I do that, can I piggyback on what you both were saying, which is so wonderful in that, um, you know, oftentimes kids ask me like, oh, should I pay for this service to kind of get more, you know, huddle or whatever it's called. Right. And um, and I, I don't think you know, and, and again, we're talking about such a wide range of of athletes. Right. So for, for some students that might be listening or families, you're so good. You're such a blue chip athlete that it doesn't matter that you missed out a season. The coach still knows that they want you and, you're, you know, you're you're going to still do well. And then, you know, the other end of that spectrum, just as important is that student that is trying to leverage athletic ability to try to help them get into maybe a better college, right? And so that's a wide range of, of students that we're, we're speaking of. Um, but essentially, um, I don't think that you should ever pay into a company that will help promote you. And I think that um, there are some exceptions. Like I think in baseball, you don't pay, but you you have to go to showcases, right? You And, and that's different than paying a company to kind of make your videos for you. Um, because most of the time, those videos are not, they're not coming to your games. You're sending them clips and then they're just basically editing. So I would say what a little bit of what Joaquin has already said is like, you, let's use this opportunity to kind of get together with your friends, 
take video of one another, right? And if it can't be a game, that's ideal. If it's a game, coaches love to see you in real life, you know, competition. But if it's a skill session or if it's a workout, you know, then take the time and, you know, find a friend that's really good at editing and put it together and, and make it make it a thing, right? Like make it a a community project or a team project, help, help one another to do that. So yeah, the pandemic was tough, but there, there are so many inspiring stories like the one that, that Joaquin shared, but, and that is helpful. Right. But um, in terms of starting the, the communication with the coach, you know, I think the standard probably that's the safest way is to go online and now fill out that that college recruitment questionnaire. A lot of coaches will want that because when you reach out to them via email uh, for the first time, they might say like, hey, can you go back and fill out the college you know, the recruitment questionnaire? Because it it actually comes in and it 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 populates in an Excel spreadsheet for them. It makes it really easy for them. And then if you haven't heard from them in, you know, a couple of weeks or something, then maybe follow up with an email with what you know, Joaquin was suggesting with like, here are my stats, right? And so Amy, you had something that you wanted to add, I can see. No, I just think it's important to also know what the different outlets are now with given the pandemic. We have Twitter, we have Instagram, and these yeah. are we have Zoom. So right. we do have the advantage of other ways of communicating that we didn't tap into as much before the pandemic, which is a plus, I think, for. Yeah, no, you're right. I think that the I mean, and please tell me if you disagree, but I think that that first communication should, you know, I guess the default setting is, you know, reach out with the college question, you know, you doing the athletic questionnaire. And then you're absolutely right. Like this process has changed so much from when we were going through it, when the Twitter did not exist. Um, and, you know, yeah, Amy, do you want to talk about social media? Because social media has been a big part of, you're like, no, no, I don't want to. Yeah, but well, I mean, I've, I've seen so many cases where kids will, you know, tweet out, oh, oh had a great visit at so-and-so school. And then all of the coaches from, you know, from that same school's athletic conference will then reach out and say, hey, like, we'd love, you know, with, you know, and so, yes, social media is, does have a big place in all of this. Uh, and it's, it's still kind of like the wild, wild west, right? There's not, and, and I think, you know, the NCAA is trying to make rules and, and now coaches are allowed to use social media and text with athletes where prior to, you know, we had very, very strict rules or you, you couldn't even be contacted or you couldn't, con you know, they couldn't contact you before usually July 1st of, you know, to the, you know of your junior year. And so that has shifted a little bit. But um, but essentially what we're saying is that, that the the communication should start probably in a kind of a standard format, filling out the questionnaire on each team's website, on each school's website, and then going going forward from there, whether it's Twitter, whether it's text message. Um, tell me, Joaquin, what do you tell your students in terms of like keeping in touch? Like how often should they keep in touch early on in, during the process? I talk to my students about it being a cultivation of a relationship and yes. it's not about the quantity. It's more about the quality and mm -hmm. making sure that they're keeping um, the coach um, updated on any new information that comes about um, and utilizing email um, as much as possible is typically how I encourage my students to um, maintain that communication and also being aware of some of the social cues um, and and you know when a coach <clears throat> doesn't um, necessarily communicate back just being aware that that yeah. might be a, you know a, a subtle way that the coach is communicating um, that's right 
like you, Nat had said earlier, you know, it's hard for coaches also on the other side to, you know, tell us to know. And so, you know, when you, 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 my students are keeping consistent communication and then communication from the coach stops, it can also be somewhat of a sign. Um, of course, all of this depends on the individual coach's schedule, that the, um, you know, um, um, accessibility can, there are yeah. various factors that can impact that. But um, I do talk to my students about how do you read um, some of these signs. And that's the great part yeah. about working with an Ivy Wise counselor is you have some of this on one-on-one coaching. Yeah. You have someone to be a thought partner with, to bounce ideas off of, but also to say, hey, I've been reaching out to the Dartmouth coach. And at first they were really excited about me. We had an interview and now they're not talking to me. What do you think? And so we can have a conversation about how to go about it tactfully, but also when to know maybe it's time to look somewhere else or maybe it's time to give, put your energy in another spot. Um, You know, Amy, did you have anything to add on that? I think another uh, component that some of my students are um, not surprised, but feel pressure is to also apply early. Yeah. So that's another issue is you're trying to keep, you know, cast your net wide and then hone it into maybe three schools, but then you're getting this pressure to apply early. And to be honest with most schools, it's an advantage (laughs) for that spot on that team. So I definitely think you need to prepare that that is going to be an area that you will be kind of encouraged to look at their early process and commit, not just verbally, but especially for division three, where they might not have as many slots and they don't have Mm -hmm. athletic scholarships to be applying early and expect that that might be in um, an expectation. You have anything to add to that, Nat? Yeah, no, that that's a great point because you're, when you're when you're talking about especially the schools that are trying to leverage athletics and and get kids that might want to go to a you know quote unquote better academic institution right what, for whatever that means um, yeah the coach really will only support an athlete if they apply early decision because they don't want to use their band or slot. Mm-hmm. Um, on someone that is not going to come. Now, of course, there are plenty of exceptions. There are sometimes where they they'll say to an athlete, and I've had this happen, where you're so good that if you want to apply, you know, early to, you know, X, Y, or Z, and you're still around in regular, like I will still support you, or I know that you're going to be in the band that mm-hmm. I will I can still have access to in regular decision. But you're you're absolutely correct, Amy, in pointing out that it does mm-hmm. sometimes mean uh, uh, an accelerated. Um, you know, timetable in terms of when to get things ready. Um, and I also want to, you know, reiterate and a really important, you know, point in all of this is that you, there's never a downside to being a good student. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and like, there's just not any downside. Like I, I think I could win that argument all the time and ensure sometimes you can be well above the, the qualifications to be recruited at Division One at the, some of the top Division One programs, but when you go to that institution and you're a blue chip football player, you know it, it becomes or or insert any other sport, it becomes so much easier for you to to focus on football if you're not distracted by academics, right? And I've worked with some incredible blue chip athletes that are you know in the NFL now, and and we always I always push them to do as best as they could, you know, academically, even if it didn't quote unquote matter in terms of their recruiting process, there still is just a, you know, a life lesson in, in just doing well. Right. And, and having skills 
that you can take after your NFL career ends. Right. And in some cases, those careers are very, very short. Um, but, it, you know, and I, I don't think you guys are going to disagree with me. But, yeah, um, it's you know, that typically I talk to my students about um, <clears throat> uh, college coaches really evaluating prospective athletes in three areas. One, athletic ability yeah. two, um, academic achievement and three, quality of character. Yes. And there are various ways they're trying to utilize um different pieces of information to understand a prospective yeah. athlete. Um, you know, everything from speaking with the, the high school coach, the club coach, uh, you know, reaching out to the student, going to games, all of that can be something that coaches will do to get a sense of those three pieces. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, during this time, um, you know, one of the pieces that comes up in terms of questions I've heard from my students is what can I do to stand out to a coach um, mm -hmm. at this point? Right. So COVID has hit. There's been um, some challenges, maybe perhaps in, in being able to practice with your team and um, compete, uh, um, at, you know, like you used to. I think it's also an opportunity and I think it's an opportunity for students to be creative. And one of the pieces I would encourage uh, prospective athletes to think about is how can you show demonstrate to a college um, and a, a college coach um, that you're, despite the challenges, still um, learning and developing your skill. And I know as a swimmer, um, watching the visual aspect of watching um, the, the um, sport and watching other athletes um, uh, was really important for technique and internalizing um, your, your um, yep, swimming technique. And so when I think about creative ways students right now can you know, demonstrate to coaches that they're still learning is you know, interview a professional athlete if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, record that, share that with your teammates. Um, that's a, a, an easy way that even though you may not be able to be in person during COVID, um, you're finding a way to show the coach and the college um, that you're learning, uh, that you're providing a, a resource for others who are interested in the sport. You're even potentially developing some leadership skills by reaching out to a professional athlete in the field, the sport that you compete in and learning more. Um, so yeah. find creative ways to um, demonstrate to college coaches that you are um, still um, learning. And it may not be uh, what we want to see in terms of or would like to do, which is um, in-person um, yeah. training and, you know, um, so on and so forth. I think it's important that you're still demonstrating creative ways and solutions of learning um, about the sport. So you know, that's one tip well, I would offer when someone asks me, how would I stand out to a college coach right now? It's, it's being creative, find ways yeah. to demonstrate to that coach that you're still learning. Um, you're still practicing somehow if yeah. you have restrictions that don't allow you to be in person. So Joaquin, I love the point that you made about quality of character and that is so often underestimated, you know, athletes often think too much about their skills and the number of points that they score. And I know of coaches that I talk to and that when they're going to look at, when they're going to an in-person game back, back in the day when we had in-person games and they could go, they weren't really looking, they already saw tape. They know that the player could play. They were really looking at things like how does that person react to criticism from the coach on the sideline? How do they address some of the, you know, their parents, you know, do they like, are they mad at their parents at the game? They're looking at 
you know, what we would refer to as like the soft factors, right? But the, the quality right. of character. And that ties back to what Amy was talking about and, and or Amy wanted to talk about or, or didn't want to talk about, which is like social media, right? Like we can't stress enough, like in this age, you just have to be so cognizant of everything that you're posting social media wise, because, it, you know, if you're if you have this open profile and you're just, you know, like even things that you have liked, maybe things that you haven't even posted. Right. Like they show up as a like because, you know, you have friends in common or followers in common, but you just have to be so cognizant. And and I've worked with with some of my top, top athletes that way in, in some of their TikToks and, and things like, and just being very, you know, like, obviously I get it. We, you have to kind of, you, you want to be socially relevant, you know, in today's time. And so you're just, you know, but I've talked to students about song choice on TikToks. Like there are just, there's so many different songs. Like let's not choose that song necessarily because of the implications that it might have. Right. And, and so there's just so much to think about. And, and again, anything that you put on social media, it can be used as a judgment of, of your character by a coach, you know, for better or for worse. Right. And so that's, that's really important as well. Um, The other thing, and Amy, I want to give you a chance, obviously, but you know, you, you, you both were kind of alluding to kind of talking and, and, you know, and, and, communicating with the coach and, and really kind of cultivating a relationship. I love that so much. Um, I've talked to a lot of my student athletes about the different types of coaches. There are some coaches that are phenomenal recruiters, but they're not great coaches. They're not good with the X's and O's when you get there. Right. And then there's the opposite. There are some coaches that are just their, their interpersonal skills are not their strong suit. But when you get onto campus, they are phenomenal mentors. And uh, and so you, you have to be able to decode and know the difference. And there are things that you can do, right? You can ask, you know, current players like, hey, like, so what is it like? And, and, like, there's a lot of different conversations that you can have. And again, it's not just these conversations, because a lot of times when you have a conversation with the coach, it's always like, it's always positives, right? It's always like, you know, flowers and butterflies and right. But that's not always going to be the basis of your conversation when you're an actual athlete. Being a recruit is different than being an athlete for this coach. So these are things to think about as well. And that that is harder, I think, during COVID, during the pandemic, right? Because you don't, you can't necessarily visit as much and you, you don't have access to as many of the teammates. And so that might be one of the questions like, hey, can I talk to someone on the team about, you know, you know, have some questions about someone, but about, you know, being an athlete at so-and-so institution. That's right. Um, yeah, that's a great point. I think if you especially are able to have an official or unofficial visit to tap into talking to current um, athletes to ask those questions that you're talking about, Nat, to kind of learn about the dynamics with, within the team, with, yeah. the co- with the assistant coaches, because that's another area. Typically, it's the assistant coaches that are doing the recruiting. Right. Um, so you'll find that out, too, that don't be alarmed if the head coach isn't reaching out to you, because more yeah. than likely they're depending on their assistant coaches to narrow down that pool for that's them. Right. So keep that in mind as well, that those visits are really helpful for you to understand the dynamics that would make it a good fit for you. And also just because you're invited doesn't mean you're going to be that slot for them. So it's a good sign if you're invited. That's Mm -hmm. a great sign. But keep that line of communication open uh, with the with the coaches and with teammates if you make any connections. And I think you're alluding to one of my favorite parts about the college recruitment process. And really that's that's the opportunity to have all of these conversations that you don't necessarily get to have when you're, uh, you know, a quote unquote regular 
college applicant, right? The college recruitment process has so many teachable moments. And I love mentoring students through those teachable moments. What do you do, Amy or Joaquin, when you are a student athlete and you, you're getting, you know, aggressive reach, you know, you're getting aggressive reach out from a coach of a team where you're just not interested. You've already like eliminated them because you're like, I've never heard of that school or I know I don't want to be in that state or I'm really looking somewhere else. And, and that school is, you know, maybe a likely school for me. W- what do you say as an athlete? My first piece of advice is to be completely honest and yeah. transparent. Um, I talk to my students about this process being more than just um, the end game of getting into college. It's really about making decisions. Yes. And part of what you're describing that is a big decision point. And if a student has made the decision that, you know, X school is not for them, either because of location or because of the vibe they're getting or various mm-hmm. factors that they may have discovered after doing, you know, varied research and looking at various sources. Um, I typically tell my students to be really um, honest with the coach. And there's a way to deliver, um, you know, an honest uh, no um, with a sort of a, um, a professional tone. And I coach my students on doing that. Um, yes. And I think that that's the best way to approach it so that another student athlete um, who might have an opportunity um, and really enjoy that school. Um, and the coach then knows that they can move on to that other athlete. So I always encourage my students to be upfront and honest and uh, professional about it. Amy, yeah, I, that. Go ahead, Amy. depending on the relationship as well, if it's someone yes. you've just been in contact by email, of course, an email response is appropriate. Yeah. However, if they have nurtured you for months and months, right. I strongly encourage you to, them to pick up the phone yes. and do the adult life lesson. Yeah, and teachable moment, right? Like these are so important. Skills that right now are really tough because yeah. we are so conditioned to text, right? Yeah. But it's it's a life lesson and yes, it's uncomfortable, but we those uncomfortable moments are important to learn mm-hmm. uh, about relationship building. And I strongly encourage them to call and be grateful and thankful. And it always makes the student feel better that they've done it that way rather than sending an email. You know, I have a crazy stat. So I've been working with recruited athletes and this is going to sound for like crazy, but since 1998, that was my first year where I was out of college. I was, I was a high school tennis coach working at a really, really strong tennis team in, in San Diego. Um, And some kids being recruited by some really, really high, high end places, you know, like, high quality tennis places. And then I've gone on over every single year, you know, I've worked with different types of athletes, football, baseball, and, you know, swimming, water polo. And I don't think from 1998 till now, until 2021, I don't think there's ever been a year where I haven't worked with a student where a coach from one school, when they start the process at a school that the the student doesn't want to go to, ends up transferring and ends up, you know, changing jobs and is at a different school by the end of the season, somewhere where that student might want to go. And so I've seen that so many times. And I'm trying to remember a year where in one of the sports that didn't happen. And I can't think of a year where that didn't happen. And so, again, it's like it's really about, you know, uh, being authentic, being polite, being because when you go and you might want to transfer someday. Right. And and you want to you want to do what's right. And so there again, so many teachable moments. We're we're obviously running out of time here. Right. There's so much that we should that we could continue to talk about. Is there anything else that we missed, Amy, Joaquin, that you're just like dying to get out and and you want to talk about? 
Do you guys want to comment on all? Oh, go ahead, Joaquin. I, I think I would just, uh, as a last sort of um, offering of advice, it would be, um, you know, you've worked really hard if you're a prospective um, college athlete. And I would really encourage you to be intentional um, um, about building your leadership skills um, and modeling what it is to be a um, um, an athlete and a good team player and a good sport. Um, and if you can demonstrate that in any way, whether it's through social media or um, um, when you're in person with your team, um, really your interactions with your coach. I think, yeah, I think that that for me would be the last tip I would say. I mean, in addition to yeah. building your athletic ability and, yes. you know, performing as well as you can, I would say, you know, utilize this as an opportunity to really develop your leadership and model that, um, in various ways, um, with intention. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think if I've heard us correctly, you know, we we've really kind of focused on kind of some of the soft factors of athletic recruiting, and which is like building your non-athletic qualities, which actually indirectly, if you're thinking about your character attributes, they those are athletic qualities, right? Those help you on and off the field. And so, yeah, we, we are, we're all big believers in that. I see the, the nod. I know that our, our listeners can't see us, but we're, we're staring at each other. Um, and Joaquin's amazing background, which I hope you get to see while you're listening to this podcast. But I also want to say thank you so much for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all of our previous episodes uh, by visiting the Just Admit It podcast and to be sure to bookmark our Ivy Wise knowledge base to stay up to date on all the latest college admission news and advice. Don't forget us to don't forget to follow us on Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, the TikTok for additional college prep resources and stay tuned for our next episode in which we will share advice on how students can stay engaged with their extracurricular interest during the pandemic. Thank you so much Amy and Joaquin. Thank you. Good luck everybody. Thank you guys. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck.